Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to the latest Straight Out Cobham. It's me, Liam Toomey, once again standing in dutifully for Matt Davis-Adams, who has had the temerity to go off and celebrate his 40th birthday party. So you have to make do with me and also Simon Johnson. How are you doing, Simon? Well, I'm I'm here to accept the award for the best supporting Chelsea correspondent award. I thought you were making a, a Will Smith, uh, Chris Rock reference nice and early there. Well, I didn't. I, I was tempted to, but I didn't want to get slapped through the computer screen. So uh, I thought I'd, I'd stay away from that and uh, and just just say that it's all about love. I just want to express love to all this straight out of Cobham community, no matter what horrific thing I'm about to say next. You also won't hear any bald jokes on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, nothing about hair. Yeah, it's not on. Yeah, poor old. Us, us poor follically challenged people. Someone's got to stick up for us. Will's my champion. <laughs> well, Will Smith certainly did that. Um, anyway, there there is some stuff going on is with it? Chelsea. Oh. Yeah, I'm told, even though they're not actually playing any matches at the moment. The big story is still rumbling on. The takeover, the latest developments, the bids have been narrowed down to a final shortlist of four. Um, although if, you know, judging reports from elsewhere, some people still believe it might be more than that. Our information is that there are four bids remaining. So Simon, do you want to take us through what we know at this point? I I appreciate there's a lot that we still don't, but, um, who's still standing and what does the process look like from here? Well, the runners and riders have pretty much been the runners and riders all along. Um, apart from one sort of late entry. Um, 
But Todd Bowley and Hanshog Weiss, Sir Martin Broughton, who are backed by primarily Josh Harris and David Blitzer, although there seems to be quite a number of, on that consortium that we haven't heard about yet. Of course, Seb Coe is involved as well, which might help on the political front, given his connections. Um, the Ricketts family, I don't know whether the, the listeners have heard about them. Um, they've made a few headlines over the last, well, ever since they've been linked with it. But they're, they're still in it, despite hashtags to the contrary. Um, and then the, the one that sort of perhaps took people a little bit by surprise, the back end of the, just before the deadline, is the Boston Celtics coroner, Stephen Paglu- Pagliuca. Is that how you pronounce his surname? Well, I, I was going on the old Italy goalkeeper, Pagliuca, Gianluca Pagliuca. Was that, was he a Gianluca? Pagliuca, yeah, yeah, that that probably, yeah, that, that probably. Anyway, he's he's minted as well. Um, so, so we've got these four that have made the short list, thank goodness. Although I am personally gutted the... Uh, the gold mine man didn't make it. I was rooting for him. Um, I liked like the cut of his jib. Maybe sent to the same email address as Moose in Byrak. Yeah, well, perhaps the Maybe two of them should have got together. That was their big mistake. But yeah, I sort of had visions of Chelsea paying for transfers with a with a gold bar rather than you know old fashioned transfer bid. But um, yeah, now now it sort of gets a little bit slower for a few weeks. It's going to calm down for a few weeks whilst these four bids, four bidders, um, their bids are further assessed. They can actually increase their offer if they want to. As I said before on the show, it's not necessarily the biggest bid wins, but the best overall bid. As has emerged over the weekend, um, all the bidders are going to have to prove that they can not only buy the club straight away, but that they can commit £1 billion of investment into the club, whether that be put into the redevelopment of the stadium or transfers, etc. Um, those final bids have got to be in by sort of April the 12th, is roughly the date that's being put out there. And Rain Group hope to name their preferred bidder by the end of April and take it to the government, where, of course, the government could veto it. Uh, the Premier League could, will also run their immaculate fit and proper persons test. But it's all looking like that Chelsea will have a new owner um, before the end of the season, um, which is very good because they obviously want to get on with the summer business at hand and try and get convinced players at the last minute to sign a new contract, perhaps. Yeah, and a new American owner in in almost certain likelihood. New Ameri- yeah, let's get another American, which obviously did attract some comment when on my trip at Middlesbrough, but... Um, those that express anti-American sentiment are going to have to get used to the idea. Yeah, what I find quite funny about all of this is that, I mean, Paliuka seems like quite a low-key guy anyway, uh, judging by, I, you know, I've talked to people I know who are a bit more familiar with the Boston Celtics, and he's very much the, there are two owners there, him and Wick Grousebeck, um, and Grousebeck was the only one I'd heard of. I'd never heard of Stephen Paliuka. Um, so he seems very much to be a finance business guy, uh, who's only owned Atalanta for about a month. <laughs> um, so he's, yeah, it's not, it, in some ways it's not a surprise that he his name took so long to come out because he seems to be Abramovich levels of secrecy. What I don't really understand with the Harrison Blitzer thing is that their names are out there now. I don't know why they're, they're still so 
Uh, they yes. seem so reticent to uh, to be linked with it. I know there are complications with their Palace holding, but they wouldn't be in this race if they weren't confident that they could shift those those shares pretty quickly if they needed to. Uh, and of course, there's no real point in them shifting them right now because they don't know if they're going to get Chelsea. Um, yeah. But it is ju- it is just quite funny, isn't it, that we've got on the final four shortlist, we've got one option in Ricketts Griffin that a lot of fans have made it clear they don't want. <laughs> and two options, one of which couldn't currently own Chelsea due to Premier League rules and one couldn't currently own Chelsea due to UEFA rules. Um, well, certainly if they met Atalanta. So, yeah, lots more twists and turns to come, I'm sure. Um, and Chelsea will end up with a very rich owner regardless um, who will 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 spend time getting to know when when the time comes. But let's take some listener questions now while we're waiting for more developments on all of this. I sent out a request, a belated request an hour before recording um, and people flocked to the call. There's one question which is, uh, does anyone know what Ken Griffin's role is in the Ricketts bid? Is he simply lending the money or would he be a hands-on owner? He has the money to keep Chelsea at or above Abramovich levels if he wants to, but he's been completely overshadowed by the Ricketts stories. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Uh, that's Bacephus has, has got in touch with that. Um, I have actually been writing about Ken Griffin um, for a Ricketts Griffin piece that we're running this week. Uh, he certainly does have, well, almost three times Abramovich's current net worth and almost double uh, Jim Ratcliffe's net worth um, who was, of course, looking at buying Chelsea before he acquired Nice. So he has serious money. He's, you know, I think he's just outside the top 50 richest people in the world. The suggestion is that he he has partnered with the Ricketts and that the Ricketts seem to be providing the the sports owner pedigree in this because, of course, they've they've had a measure of success with the Chicago Cubs, although I know they're certainly not universally popular there. And Griffin is the deep pockets. Griffin is the one that gives their bid real real liquidity. Um, the interesting thing about him is that he's never really, as far as I'm aware, demonstrated an interest publicly in owning a sports team. Uh, he's got lots of other interests. He's got like a personal art collection worth over a billion, but he's never really said anything publicly about sports and he also seems his investment strategy i was watching a lot of business interviews over the weekend while i was writing this thing um and he's talking about really knowing what you're investing in specialized knowledge and all that that's been the key to his success he's kind of entering into the unknown here in terms of european football um so that that's another aspect. He's not. He's obviously not commented publicly at all, and he's let the Ricketts be the public face of this, for better or for worse. <laughs> um, but he's certainly a major, major player, and he, I think he's a key reason why their bid is being taken so seriously because he is the bulk of the money behind it. So I just jump in there. Oh, I was pretty much going to make that point actually that given the incredible outcry about this bid. I think you have to read into just how strong the financial package or, or certainly what this bid entails for them to have made the shortlist, despite the level of outcry. They're clearly being taken seriously, even though 
you know, it's pretty much known that this is the last bid that people want to win, and that that includes, you know, Saudi media group, etc. Like you name them, the one sort of the one sort of bid that fans have been most angry about has been the the Ricketts family campaign, and you, you just sort of think that behind the scenes, it's it's because. Yeah, the bid that they've made is very, very serious indeed. Um, when I, when I spoke to someone, you know, from the Ricketts family side of things about how it would work, they didn't really sort of say, "Oh, it'll be fifty-fifty or this, that, or the other." I think it sort of sounded a little bit like it still needed to be worked out how the dynamic would work. But um, but yeah, I think I think uh, when you've got that amount of money behind you, yeah, you're going to have to listen to what they have to say. Yeah, well, Ken Griffin, I mean, for people that don't know, he manages one of the biggest hedge funds and securities trading companies in the world called Citadel that he built pretty much from scratch. And he's been very, very hands-on all the way through with that. He's, you know, he's not a kind of... Um, I think people have a fair degree of autonomy underneath him, but he he checks everything. Uh, he's across everything. So um, it'd be interesting to see whether he would, take that attitude into into this because obviously this is a realm that he's completely unfamiliar with but they have to win the bid first and they've there's a lot of opposition on that front um and three presumably credible alternatives so we'll see what happens uh just a broader question from andy cap that i'll throw straight over to you simon why are americans so obsessed with buying our premier league clubs and are chelsea in danger of being acquired by the latest version of the glazers and uh, um now, Adam Crafton wrote a piece for The Athletic didn't he, this morning about the American wave in the Premier League. The, the first part of the question, I mean, why not? I mean, the Premier League is 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 massive. Um, you only have to look at how the broadcasting rights in America have taken off. Um, NFL, well, American sports look at the rise of the Premier League, even though there's obviously still an incredible amount of money in American sports, but the Premier League is is sort of one of the most globally recognised leagues in the world. Uh, you sort of think of how often pre-COVID uh, Premier League teams would go and tour in, in America. It's, it's lucrative. Plus, as you sort of already alluded to, the Glazers, they're not the only American owners. So it, it's a... Uh, it can be very lucrative to, to own a Premier League team. Whether they'd, the new owner would be like the Glazers, that's that's obviously a difficult question to answer because we, do, we, we don't know what everyone's in, intent and purposes are. We, we also haven't seen the offers, so we don't know no. how much debt is involved. Exactly. You know, when, that's what when, I was... yeah. Yeah, when, the, I mean, when the Saudi media bid, for example, was tabled, um, the initial wave of that was that, oh, this is 2.7 billion. You know, they're talking about investing 200 million in the club immediately. And people got excited because of, you know, something Saudi. People speaks just went Newcastle. Newcastle yeah. Mark II, um, didn't they? And it's since been reported, um, not by us, but by, you know, certainly credible people that their bid was quite heavily debt financed. So we just don't know. The rain, rain group are the ones that know what these offers actually consist of and how much money is on the table and how where it's all coming from. But you get the impression that um, because it has emerged that Chelsea personnel are involved, like Bruce Buck, etc., that 
whilst they they're not going to have complete say, I, I can't I can't imagine them allowing Chelsea to be bought by by people that don't have the money in place to invest. Um, that it would be some kind of debt uh, arrangement like the Glazers have. In saying that, I, I appreciate, and this isn't a Man United podcast uh, by any means, but when, when I when I sort of hear criticism of the Glazers, and this is from a very, very distant point of view, obviously, I do sort of go, it's not as if United have not spent money in the transfer market. Um, they've spent an absolute fortune. Um it's just the lack of success that has come that, 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 that's come with it that sort of people are upset about. Um, but um, but yeah, it's very difficult to make a judgment on what kind of owners Chelsea get end up with because, as Liam points out, we, we haven't seen the structure of the bids. But given that one of the provisos is that people, as I said earlier, people have to prove they've got a billion to invest in the club on top of actually buying the club, suggests that no, they they've got to be serious owners. They're not gonna and, and Chelsea I'm not sure, unlike United, they're not a money making club. This has been shown under Abramovich. You know, they they're not they haven't got despite all their success, they haven't got that huge global commercial appeal on the same level as United to make loads of money out of. Ramajama got in touch uh, to, to ask any chance of there being a massive U-turn on the part of the UK government with regards to allowing Roman to continue his ownership, given his role brokering peace. Um, first of all, I mean, the, 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 there's been kind of enough reports from different places in the last few days that it, it does seem that Abramovich is involved somehow in the discussions that are going on around Russia and Ukraine. The details still seem very, very sketchy. Um, you know, we, we don't really we don't really know what's going on. And of course, Abramovich never ever speaks himself. Um, so that that doesn't really help clear things up. On the central question though, highly unlikely. <laughs> uh the British government is committed, shall we say, to this now. Um they, they were, I think they were probably quite late relative to the EU in taking action against Russian oligarchs. But now that they have, I really can't see them going back on it. Um, and the only, the, the quickest way for Chelsea not to be operating under sanction is to have a new owner as soon as possible. If you want to weigh in, you can, Simon, otherwise we'll move It's on. a no. Yeah. <laughs> it's a no from yeah. me. He's not going through to the next round. Benji Taylor asks, are we waiting for an official announced shortlist or will we just get to hear the chosen consortium? I mean, you'd have thought, Simon, if they were going to announce the shortlist, they would have done it already. <laughs> yeah, that was, should have been uh, should have been done already. Um, yeah, it feels like we, the media, are sort of announcing the shortlist. Um, yeah, Rain Group. Yeah, it's 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 been an interesting way of handling the process. I don't quite understand why they they haven't been able to be a little bit more. No, we we don't expect chapter and verse, do we? We don't expect all oh, this. This bit is, you know, that there is a process that has to be kept private. Uh, obviously, one bid can't learn what the other bid is doing, etc. But I don't see what the harm is in officially coming out and announcing these people um, have made it through, and these are the ones we're considering. But hey, this is what it is. They are obviously letting people know in other ways, um, mainly through the media, 
but yeah, it's it's. Uh, I'm just pleased that we've we've at least reached. We, we've now sort of got to the sort of close to the end game, and I do sort of think as well. There has been an element of talk of a frustration of how this is going, and you sort of go, well, this is a huge deal going on here. This is not. If you sort of think of how much work goes into a big money transfer and how long that can take, this is the transfer of a football club uh, and a very successful one. People who report on takeovers generally are saying this is moving at like breakneck speed. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, can we all just take a step back and go, yeah, we're, we're, we're you know, this isn't going too badly. Um, okay, for it, it may, maybe the sort of the daily the daily grind of the sort of little little updates can seem like it's it's taking longer than it actually is but when you sort of think it's only a month ago that this all basically kicked off in grand scale with with Roman sort of um, initially trying to palm off the club to trustees and then putting the club up for sale maybe the standards were set so high 19 years ago with the speed in which Abramovich took over Chelsea but that was very abnormal um i just think you know for Chelsea as i said it, it's important that a few weeks ago there were concerns about what kind of future Chelsea had well it's clearly still going to be a bright one even though it might not be the Chelsea that has dominated financially in many ways for the last two decades Jobs for the Youth asks, besides the palpable red flags associated with each camp, which of them offers the likelihood of continuity in terms of the club's global dominance? Now, to some extent, I think this is unknowable. Um, mm. But, you know, my the thing I always look at uh, with, with sports owners generally, but certainly football clubs, is people that come in knowing what they don't know and you know, being prepared to hire the right people or in the case of Chelsea, keep in place the right people and maybe empower them to to make football decisions and run the football side and understand really that they are just the money in the equation. Um, and if you look at the different bidders, I mean, you could even say with the Ricketts, they kind of did that with the Chicago Cubs. They hired Theo Epstein, who uh, was a really highly respected general manager and let him get on with it and... He delivered a World Series. I'm familiar with the NBA. The Boston Celtics have been really well run. So that that's maybe a good sign for, for Stephen Pagliuca, even though he hasn't been the only factor in that. I'm not, not too familiar with the LA Dodgers, but everything I've heard suggests they've been consistently competitive um, since Todd Bowley's been involved uh, and quite smartly run. Um, so it... it you know, it doesn't seem like. I mean, there are there are suggestions that Vivek Ranadive is involved in the Martin Broughton Sebco bid. The Sacramento Kings have been an absolute joke <laughs> in the NBA, so I think Chelsea fans should probably hope that he is not front and center of that, um, and he's maybe a minority investor at best. Oh, the the reason why I flagged there, Liam, is because you've you've struck a nerve like you do on a daily basis uh when he talked about teams that are hopeless this is why i'm delighted that woody johnson <laughs> has not made it through because any uh of the few followers i have on twitter may be aware during nfl season that i tweet about the new york jets 
in a very pained way on a weekly basis. So when I saw Woody Johnson being interested in Chelsea, it's the only one that I had real passionate feelings about <laughs> because the New York Jets are not just one of the most hopeless teams in the NFL. I just think as a sporting, I know this may upset English listeners, but because they get a bit sensitive about the word franchise, but they are one of the most hopeless franchises in sport across the board. And, uh, and of course he owns the New York Jets. So, um, yeah, I think, I think maybe my lobbying, my personal lobbying to rain group may have, may have helped that one. Um, yes. Sorry. That was a personal rant there. That was nothing to do with the show. Hey, if we haven't got personal rants, we've got nothing on this show. Um, it feels to me like the word franchise is only ever used with American sports teams, Marvel movies and train companies. And, and the MK Dons. Uh, yeah, I guess, yeah, when they, when they made that move. Um, yeah. The one thing I think we can say with certainty or with a high degree of confidence with the new owners is that whoever wins this bid is not going to run the club the way Abramovich did. No. Um, there is going to be some sort of business plan whereby business decisions have to make business sense. You can't, you can't spend a hundred million pounds over 19 years sacking managers. You can't have a Why striker not? costing nearly, a, <laughs> you can't have a striker costing nearly a hundred million pounds. who doesn't fit your team. You can't have the world's most expensive goalkeeper as a number two, you know, things like this that Chelsea could carry um, during the Abramovich era will not be, sustainable in the slightest under new ownership it will be much closer to you know the, the idealized version i think would probably be much closer to what you see at liverpool so that that that's what we'll see but we, we don't know who's going to win yet um yeah but basically one of the biggest checks that's going to be written is a reality check <laughs> yes yes that's the level of humor on this show dan hill um asked a slightly different question i'm not going to ask about the takeover Good. because Basically, there's so many <laughs> unknowns, but he wants to ask if players like Rudiger and Aspilicueta are likely to stay under the conditions. What do you think, Simon? Running out of time, but the window of opportunity is still, or well, the door is still ajar, is the best I can say. I mean, I, I, I think back to an example, until the deal is done, until they're officially elsewhere, there's still time. And I remember Abramovich pitching to Gianfranco Zola uh, in 2003, even though he'd signed a contract with Cagliari and was actually talking to Cagliari and saying, well, I will, we'll pay you to get you out of this contract. And Zola essentially said that I've already given my word to Cagliari, I'm, I'm going anyway, which is a measure of the man because you've earned a lot more if he'd stayed at Chelsea. I don't think Rudiger's made a decision yet. As for Equator, Barcelona are definitely, we've discussed on the show before, Barcelona are definitely pitching very hard and it, it could be a tough sell to turn this around. But you can imagine a new owner coming in and saying, ripping up the, the over 30s um, policy, and saying, yeah, no, we'll give you three years. Stay, we want you as our captain. So I, I, I think I think a new owner is still, there is still some optimism that a deal could be done, but yeah, time is running out. Yeah, the last I heard 
Azpilicueta was thinking very hard about it because it's a big decision. He's lived in England for 10 years. His family are as much English as they are Spanish. Yeah. His kids have grown up here. Um, so it's going to be a difficult one. But fundamentally, if if he'd made up his mind, he would have already signed with Barcelona. Mm. You know, so he, I think he still wants to see how the the Chelsea ownership situation plays out, potentially meet with the new owners and just see what they think. And you've got until June 30th, haven't you, to, to, to actually make a decision. And even beyond that, you know, once he's a free agent, he could still sign back with Chelsea. He doesn't have to go elsewhere. Um, so, yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to run for a while. The, the only thing I'd, I'd add is that, you know, Barcelona, even though they're not Barcelona a few years ago at the moment, um, bizarrely seem to have money when they don't have any money. Um, but it's still Barcelona. It, 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 a huge, huge um, pull for any player, let alone a, a Spanish player. And with it being World Cup year, you know, a fully fit Rhys James next season, um, that will be one of the factors, you know, that will he, will he get more game time going elsewhere? I noticed the uh, the questioner that also didn't ask about Andreas Christensen as if he's already mm. accepted. That that Christensen has, has already signed that deal with Barcelona. But um, again, and, until until it's officially pen on paper, who knows? Final question before we move on. Um, from Cuddly Whiskers. Oh. How involved is Tuchel in the, in the decision-making process? Uh, we've heard that he's going to meet or at least talk with the different shortlisted bidders, haven't we? I don't think it's going to be much beyond that. I think he pro- it's probably just to give him a sense of what their plans might be and to give them a sense of what his commitment is. We know what he said publicly about his commitment to Chelsea. Um, Tuchel will not be picking the next Chelsea owners, but whoever comes in... What, um, not even in a 3-4-3 formation or something? <laughs> <laughs> producer, I've lost producer Lucy, that's it. He'll reinvent Todd Bowley as a wing-back. Um <laughs> But whoever comes in, I think, has to make it a priority to keep Tuchel around, to keep Emma Hayes around and to keep Neil Barth around. I think those are the three yeah, key people shout. because yeah. across all three departments, they've, they're industry leaders. Um, and that's an incredible luxury to have as a new owner. Usually when you come in, you have to make big changes to key decision makers straight away. Any new Chelsea owner doesn't need to do that. You've already got some of the best in the world working for you. You just have to keep them. Okay, next let's take a quick look at what's been happening during the international break. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. International Roundup. Uh, There has been football played, and Chelsea players have been involved in that football, I'm told, even though I don't really watch international football. I did, however, see a clip of Italy going out of the World Cup in shocking fashion. In, in a playoff semi-final against North Macedonia, Alexander Trakovsky in Palermo. It kind of reminded me a little bit um, 
a spoiler warning for the for the Star Wars movie that aired fifty years ago um, of Luke Skywalker, you know, flying down that valley and hitting that shot perfectly into the exhaust shaft that blew up the Death Star. It was the one place that he could score and absolutely destroy Italy. I'm not comparing Italy to an evil empire, um, but it was <laughs> it, say, it did it seem like that kind of. It did seem like that kind of Hail Mary shot that came off and it seemed like they were extremely unlucky to lose the game overall. But further disappointment for Italy and uh, pretty humiliating for Jorginho, you'd think. Yeah, wasn't it something like 30-odd shots to to fall or something like that, the stats? Um, but the, but if you're North Macedonia, that's what you do. You, know, you stay in the game and, and hope one... Chance comes your way, you know, it'd be a bit like sort of Chelsea at home against a, a Burnley. Um, they got a point at Stamford Bridge, didn't they, from one of their only chances earlier in the season. It, it's, it's, it's what what you do as a Leicester, I and mean, it's a great story, not for Italy, but North Macedonia. It's um, They haven't got through to the World Cup yet, obviously. but um, It's less great if they go out against Portugal in the next round, but yeah, well, it's a lovely moment for them. Yeah, but... I suppose they'd still have the kudos of knocking out the European champions on, away from home. Um, but it's, it's, it's a huge shock. And of course, um, uh, England fans sort of may take some delight in it um, from, from what happened in the European Championship final. But I, I think a World Cup, it does feel like something's missing if Italy aren't there. If nothing else for the national anthem. So that would be sorely missed in Qatar. Speaking of England, did we get a glimpse of Chelsea's future midfield against Switzerland? Conor Gallagher, Mason Mount playing together for about an hour as as England came back to beat Switzerland 2-1. What did you make of it? Well, I it was I, I suppose I was more Conor Gallagher focused than Mason Mount. I'm so used to Mason Mount doing his thing. I was just sort of really impressed with how Conor Gallagher his first start at Wembley just looked like he'd been there before. You know, it's just, of course, he won't get to start at Wembley in a few weeks' time, sadly for him, against Chelsea in the FA Cup semi-final. But I just thought he looked, he he played for England like he has for Crystal Palace, which is a huge compliment to him, um, that he wasn't overawed by the occasion, the pressure. Um, I particularly liked the little, the perfectly dinked, measured pass I think it was to uh, was it to Harry Kane at the start of the second half. It's just sort of like a little pitching wedge, you know, like my golf, just over the defender with a bit of backspin, so Kane could get there before the goalkeeper. Um, I'd be amazed if he's not a Chelsea player next season. Um, Tuchel loves him. We've talked about Conor Gallagher before on this show. Tuchel loves him. The club thought that alone would be the best thing for him so he plays every week I think he thought that as well his camp and it's paid off big time and Crystal Palace will be despite their best efforts I'm sure although you could argue the caveat being of course new owners could go let's rip up the the plan plan a and just cash in on all this talent but I I, I would be amazed if for example, in those conversations Thomas Tuchel has with their, with these owners, if he doesn't say, right, these are my plans and under no no circumstances do you sell off the players I want to keep, etc. 
maybe you could have uh, the spectre of Steve Parrish making bids to Josh Harris and David Blitzer yeah, yeah. to try and get Conor Gallagher. Yeah, that's good, it. Yeah. Good little dynamic. Um, Kai Havertz and Timo Werner both on the score sheet for Germany. Werner with some interesting comments after the game. There are differences in style of play between the football at Chelsea and here. Maybe the one at the national team suits me better. Here I always have scoring chances. I can score goals. I feel very comfortable here. Uh, probably not the smartest thing he could have said when at a time when he's kind of struggling for regular game time at Chelsea. We, I mean, it's there for everyone to see that he hasn't been a clean style fit in England um, in lots of ways. But it feels like comments like this could only push him a bit closer towards leaving in the summer do you think well I think I think it's quite amusing if that's the right word for a player to talk about chances a player that's missed loads of chances you know it's (laughs) it's sort of a um so it it just hasn't worked out and I, I can totally understand why he feels comfortable playing for Germany because he now looks like someone that doesn't want to be at Chelsea. That doesn't feel happy there. I feel quite sorry for him. It, it feels like the, the world, weight of the world's on his shoulders when he's out on the pitch with a Chelsea shirt on. Whereas you can, you can imagine there's that that feeling of relief. Luke Shaw said something similar, didn't he, in terms of playing for England, that he he sort of felt more happy being with the England squad because it's a happier place to be than his current club. Because United are going through a tough time, and I'm sure you know it's basically the same feeling that Werner has. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if if um, if he does if he doesn't uh, if he does move back to Germany. Sorry, I realise what I'm saying. Uh, in the summer, um, there will be perhaps Borussia Dortmund, for example, looking for a striker with uh, with Haaland probably on his way. Um, so that is one possible avenue for him. Um, the question mark, of course, is you know, can Chelsea get their their money back on a on a player that hasn't really delivered for two seasons? And can Werner get his Premier League money in Germany? Um, yeah, no. a couple of other little bits here. Um, Christian Pulisic scored a hat trick for the USA in a five one win over Panama that puts them basically in the World Cup unless they lose something like six nil to. To Costa Rica, uh, their place is assured. A couple of funny things about that game. He scored two penalties. For both penalties, they did the Azpilicueta Havertz ruse, um, where oh. Jesus Ferreira stood in the penalty area with the ball as the magnet for Panamanian mind games, and then at the last moment handed the ball off to, to Captain America, um, who slotted both penalties away really nicely. Uh, might might be an idea for Chelsea to actually have Pulisic on the pitch for a penalty shootout next time because he seems to be quite good at them. Um, Do you reckon opponents now are going to have to rethink their mind game tactics? Like they're going to have just going to have, have to swarm like, everyone. It's going to have to be a collective press. There's going to be some fake mind games people, and then the real mind games people there for the the actual second penalty person, and it it, it could just you know lead to a lot of drama. Will Smith esque. Can imagine coaches having to draw up entire plays. You know, certain people blocking off certain takers, other people just saying certain things. Oh, absolute madness. And um less good news for Edouard Mendy in Senegal. 
bit of a blow for them. First leg of their World Cup playoff against Egypt, a rematch of that Africa Cup of Nations final. They lost 1-0, which means it's all on Tuesday in Dakar. Um, they need to, to try and come back. And Egypt are a very, very difficult team to score against, as we saw in that tournament. Senegal don't seem to score a ton of goals, so it looks like it could be a bit of a nail-biter there. Almost finished. A final word on the Blues news elsewhere after this. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. That is brilliant. Jesse Fleming with number nine. And I think that's the pick of the bunch, that goal. Champion quality from Chelsea there. Chelsea women equaled their best ever away win with a 9-0 demolition of Leicester. Um, They've now won five games in a row since that Conti Cup final defeat. They've got a goal difference of plus 20 in those five games. (laughs) 22 goals scored, two against. Um, Yeah, this was pretty convincing. And they're now six different players on the score sheet, including Lauren James. Got a first goal for the club. Nice moment for her. I'm sure it won't be the last. And they're top of the WSL table again for the first time this season. Remarkable it's the first time this season, but it's the right time to be hitting the front. And they're, um, they're a point clear of Arsenal with five games left. They've got it all in their hands. So it looks like after a season that's had a fair few disappointments for Chelsea women, they might be, Simon, on the verge of reasserting their domestic dominance. Yeah. Uh, wasn't it 6-0 at half time? Yeah, it was Ludicrous. <laughs> ludicrous. I'm just wondering score. what the team talk was in, in both dressing rooms. <laughs> what do you say? Still nil-nil. Um, Still hey, nil-nil. Yeah, go out win the second half. Is is that the thing? I mean, I mean, it's yeah. It it is a really sort of to their credit because um, the men's team have been praised about how they've managed to carry on as normal despite the abnormal circumstances in the background. But well, the women's team have been doing it as well, um, remarkably, and Emma Hayes, remarkably so, because as sort of Mason Mount sort of suggested whilst on England duty, you know, it's obviously a concern, and but all they can do is is what they can do on the pitch. Um, and the women's team, ever since they lost Arsenal on the opening day, they've been playing catch-up, and they have had setbacks along the way, including obviously in other competitions like the, the Champions League, um the cup final recently against Man City. But yeah, that 9 0 has sent out a real message, hasn't it? Um, and it also worked, done wonders for their goal difference, um, which could play a part come the final day. Yeah. Finally, a couple of fixture bits. Um, the dates and times of the FA Cup games for the men and women have now been confirmed. Chelsea will play Crystal Palace on Sunday, 17th of April, with a 4 30 pm kickoff. And Earlier on that same day, Chelsea women will face Arsenal at 12.30 in the Women's FA Cup semi-final at Boreham Wood. And most importantly, Simon, it looks like fans will be at both of those games. 
now. Yeah, it. I think it would have been a, a sort of PR disaster that the FA were desperate to avoid as having a half-empty stadium um, at both of those games. Um, I just wonder, are there any um, any free buses being put on for, particularly for Crystal Palace fans? It's always a difficult place <laughs> to get from, you know. Um, it's difficult being a Sunday and all. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, they, they, those trams don't run that far north, do they? <laughs> Out of Croydon. Um, no. Uh, yeah, so just to round off then, what are you working on, Simon, this week? We, don't, we know the ownership story might be slowing down a little bit, but we'll still be writing about it, won't we? You mean apart from my terrible gags that need a bit of work? Um, <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, yes, I'll be uh, joining in the um, profile of of the owners, uh, the prospective owners. Um, I've also, I'm not sure when it's coming out, but there has been a sort of, an initial piece put out there on the, on the athletic, um, where Kieran Maguire, the sort of uh, renowned football finance expert has come up with a, an algorithm uh, to work out what transfers are worth from sort of start Premier League era to to now. So you can now have a comparison. Um, So I've written about Chelsea, uh, obviously. Um, I had to provide the three biggest transfers of each Premier League season, and then it got transferred into a modern uh, figure. Um, So it might not surprise too many people that the most expensive signing, according to this algorithm, is still... Um, Andre Shevchenko with Fernando Torres a, a, a narrow runner-up but I, I decided to focus on Chris Sutton as perhaps the worst signing uh, certainly as a centre-forward in Chelsea's history um, he came in at I think he's well in the 80 million 80 odd million I haven't got the number to hand but he scored a mighty three goals for Chelsea Um and only one of them was in the Premier League. The other two were, was against... This is like a quiz question. Where's Matt? Hull City in the FA Cup, where he laughably did a shushing gesture. <laughs> and Skonto Riga in a Champions League qualifier. Yeah. Um, I thought it was too easy to go down the positive route of who's the best value. Yeah, so as referenced earlier, um, I'm working on a piece about the Ricketts-Griffin bid. Uh, That's with Matt Slater, our sports business guru. I might also be writing about Christian Pulisic and later this week I'm being sent abroad on a secret assignment. So I'll I'll leave that as a a little teaser for you. Are you you the next Bond? Uh, Sadly not. Um, (laughs) Well... Maybe, maybe not. If uh, if you watch the latest Bond movie, I, I've got to stop spoiling movies. We'll we'll stop here. Um, <laughs> thanks a lot for listening. I believe I will be hosting again on Thursday because Matt Davis Adams continues to slack off. So I'll talk to you again. The Athletic.